And, and I was looking up at that fan earlier, and I thought, I bet they turned that off for Phil last week. He was freezing. And I mean, I'd never seen anybody in a room that was 70 degrees with a, a two shirts on and a vest and a coat. And I was like, man, he's got to be burning up. And, but I guess he wasn't. Anyway, he kept saying, man, it is so cold here. And, and so, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big difference between here and Alabama. Um, but, but anyway, we're in Revelation chapter 2. And I want to mention a couple of things as, as we get into that. Um, as, as we look at this church in Smyrna, Smyrna, it's, it's one of two churches that gets a big pat on the back and, and a word of encouragement um, out of the seven, and, and so we'll get into that in just a minute, but, but as we come in, I want to uh, mention November 14th, I think Daniel already talked about it, but we're going to be doing our shoeboxes, um, Operation Christmas Child here, and you can go ahead and do those and bring them on up here and set them up here, but, um, but that's one of the things we do each year to be able to share the gospel with people, not just here, but, but around the world. It's a great opportunity we have to show the love of Christ to others, and there's going to be lunch provided on the 14th right after church. You can come help put boxes together. There'll be a lot of stuff there to do that, and um, I want to encourage you to, to be a part of that. And then also, I'm really looking forward to the opportunities that God has given to us, the opportunities we have coming into Christmas to take the gospel here in our community as well as around the world. It's a time for us to come in and, and focus back and, and, and look back in to what God has done for us and what he has given us the privilege of being a part of as we serve him. So last week we looked at the church in Ephesus in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2, and, and they were rock solid. Remember, these were rock solid people. They had it together. They knew their stuff. They knew their Bible. They did the right things. They served right. They, they did all of the right things, but it seems like they forgot why they became followers of Jesus in the first place. They did all the right stuff, but they'd forgotten what brought them there. And they did it out of obligation and not love. And this is where Jesus said, he said, look, this, this is what I have against you. You've left your first love. You've forgotten who you are in me. And so today we're looking at Smyrna, and they get nothing but affirmation, even though their future looks bleak. I mean, it looks really bleak to those on the outside. If you came in and you looked at Christians in Smyrna, you say, man, these guys, they're, they're not long for this world. They are not going to be here very long. They were facing intense persecution um, to death. And Jesus comes and encourages them. So this is what happens. So in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, he says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So we're going to stop right there and, and look at this. And, and the first thing in verse 8 is to trust Jesus in all things. We need to trust Christ in all things. We need to trust him in everything that goes on. He says um, this is a reminder to us. It's a reminder to them that God is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign over history. He's sovereign over all things. He is over everything that happens and takes place from the past to the future. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. It goes back into chapter one. He says, I am the alpha and the omega. And, and this is the theme of the book of the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign over all things. And he holds everything in his hands, so he's the bookends, so to speak. If you come in and you look, Jesus is the bookends of all things. Everything that is or ever will be is 
encapsulated in him. He holds it all together. Nothing is outside of him and nothing can overcome him. Um, in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, the scriptures put it this way. It says he is the, the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by uh, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus, he is, he is the image of God. He is the perfect reflection of God. He is the first. He is the first in all things. He rules over history. He gives us a firm foundation. So these people lived in the city of Smyrna. And, and this is the city that prided itself on being first. So as you come in and you begin to look at what Jesus says these churches, it's, it's not just right there on the surface, but it also comes out, and, and you have to understand that the city of Smyrna considered itself to be first. This was their, their claim. If you come in and, and you look at that, their coins were stamped. First city of Asia in size and beauty. So when you picked up your coin, you know, ours they have in God we trust, which is, is questionable in our country. But, but it's, it's, you know, it's stamped on there. And, and you look on the back on theirs, it said, first city in Asia in size and beauty. In other words, they said, we're the best. We're, we're there. We're first. They were the first city to have a temple to Caesar. In AD 23, they were awarded that privilege to build a temple to Caesar. Um, they built one in honor of Tiberius, Caesar Tiberius, and it was the center of emperor worship. So this city was the place, the center of emperor worship was right there in Smyrna. By the time of this letter, under Emperor Domitian, about uh, AD 90, somewhere in there, um, burning incense to Caesar was compulsory on threat of death. Now think about that. So Jesus is writing to these, this church and, and these people, if you want to live in the city of Smyrna, if you want life, you're going to have to come in and take a pinch of incense and burn it on the altar and say Caesar is Lord. That was compulsory. And to not do so was a uh, uh, a capital offense. Not only that, if you didn't worship the emperor, you didn't, you couldn't be a part of the guilds, the trade guilds, which meant you couldn't make money. You, you were sunk. I mean, if you didn't fit in here, the pressure would be intense. You would have economic pressure. You would have social pressure. You would have political pressure. You would be crushed in this. And so among the beautiful paved streets, traversing this city of Smyrna from east to west was the Golden Street. With They had temples to Sibel, to Zeus at either end, and, and along which were temples to Apollo, Asclepius, and Aphrodite. So as you come in, this is a city full of temples of, of worship of all of these different um, 
gods of their culture. So this is just a taste of what it was like to live in Smyrna as a Christian. If you lived in here as a Christian, you, you believe that there is one God and one God alone, that Jesus is God in the flesh who came and died for us to redeem us from our sin, and you understood that everything was in him and for him, then you were in a pickle. You were, you were in a tough spot. So knowing that Jesus is Lord and history is ruled by him, it's really important. It's really important for them. It's really important that Jesus emphasizes this to them and encourages them and, and, and reminds them once again, yes, this is true. So he's sending this letter to them, and it's important for us today. Jesus also made one other statement in here in this first verse. First of all, he said, I'm the first and the last. The second thing, he says, I died and came to life. He is the one who died and came to life. And, and so if, if we look at that, they would understand that, that Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the tomb and he conquered sin and death through that death on the cross on our behalf. And, and that's how we understand that today. They would understand it also on another level. They would understand it on the level that the people in Smyrna said that our city died and came to life. This city in Smyrna in, in 600 B.C. died. It was destroyed. It was pummeled and knocked down. And in 290 B.C., it was brought back to life to even greater significance. So you have this city. You have Jesus telling them, first of all, I am the first and the last, and I am the one who died and came to life. It's not the city of Smyrna. It's not the place you're in. It's not the reality that you're looking at. It is the bigger reality of the sovereign God over all things. So all of the great achievements of this city, they pale in comparison to Jesus. And he's reminding them of that. And he's reminding us today of that, that he... He is over all things, and everything of this world pales in comparison to him. Smyrna might take away one's present life, but Jesus guarantees a future life. And he overcame the power of sin and death. Remember in, in Romans chapter 8, 1, Paul said, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So as we come in there, we understand that we have been set free from this. And we can trust Jesus in every circumstance because nothing is outside of his authority or his view. So as we come in, we have to look at and examine ourselves today. What, do we what are we taking pride in? What are we holding on to? What is it that, that I see as being the, the big thing? And do I understand that really within that, everything that is, is bookended in Christ. And everything is ultimately to be directed towards him. That we are to trust him in all things. And we have to be careful that we never place the power and the pleasures of this world ahead of Christ. We have to understand that all things are for him and to him and keep that in place. So the Old Testament, as you come in and you look, it's, it's a textbook. It's a textbook for the futility of false worship, of trusting anything other than God. That's, that's what we see as we read through all of the history of Israel. We see them continually chasing after other things and forgetting who they are. So Jesus is coming in and he's reminding them in Smyrna and he's encouraging them and giving them a pat on the back for saying, you know what, you guys are dead on and, and I want to pat you on the back. I want to affirm you and I want to remind you once again 
that, that the city is not first. The city is not what brings life. It is found in me. And the second thing in verses 9 and 10, he goes on and he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. Listen to that. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So, trust Jesus in all things. The second thing he's telling us is to be confident. You need to be confident. Be confident in me. Be confident in your circumstances. Be confident in, in who I am and what I'm, I'm telling you. He's in the middle of the churches. If you remember, we go back in, in verses 1 through 7, and Jesus said, I'm the one who walks among the seven um, the churches. I walk among the lampstands, the golden lampstands, the seven churches, and I hold the seven spirits in my hand. He is saying, I, I come, and, and the Holy Spirit comes with me, and he's saying, I'm in the middle of you. I'm not off in the distance. I haven't forgotten about you. I am beside you today in the midst of all of it. He is right here with us, and he says, I know your tribulation. I know your tribulation." So they were in a tribulation, and, and so we look at that word, and, and you know, immediately you're going to think, oh, the great tribulation, you know, that's, that's going to happen. Well, what does that word tribulation mean? What does it look like? And for them, they would understand this word to be of a large boulder being placed on someone, and they would be slowly crushed to death. So it, it was a form of torture. This tribulation would be a form of torture, and uh, I... You, we don't think of torture a whole lot in, in our country, in our culture, because we have laws that, you know, regulate that. But it's, it's a common thing in, in our world. It's been a common thing throughout the ages. Um, I, I read a book this summer about Magellan, and, and I was just shocked at what they would do to people to get a confession. You know, it's like, well, no wonder the guy confessed. I mean, you ripped his arms off. Um, I mean, what else, what else would you do? Eventually, you'd have to say, oh, I did it so you wouldn't die slowly. So this is what this tribulation was like. It was like a slow, crushing death that would take place. And, and so um, they would do this, and the people of the first century understood what the word meant. And Jesus was aware of what was happening in Smyrna because this is basically what's happening to them. They are being crushed to death. They refused to take that pinch of incense. They refused to walk into the temple. And they refused to say, Caesar is Lord, and, and, and just take a little pinch of it and burn it over the fire and, and, and have that little bit of aroma coming up. And, and even if it was meaningless, they wouldn't do it. And, and by the way, there were people who did that all over. Who They were like, yeah, whatever. Caesar thinks he's God. He's not God. He's, you know, we had a Caesar before him. He died. The next one's going to die. He's not God. They knew that, but they just went in and did it. You know, it, it's kind of like we have people who say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I do my own thing. I'm a Christian because that, that fits me into the culture. It fits me into what's going on. And, and so there, there was certainly that aspect of it. it. It wasn't like everybody in Rome literally believed that Caesar was God. 
They went in, they humored him, and they went on because they wanted to fit in. They wanted to fit in economically, they wanted to fit in socially, they wanted the benefits of all of that, and they came in and said, you know what, I will do this because this is the thing that needs to be done. And and the Christians in Smyrna, they said, no, we won't compromise our testimony. If we do this, we're compromised. And we have no message to share anymore. So they would no longer be Jesus people if they took the path of least resistance, if they came in and did that. Um, an- another common thing for us today is, is peer pressure. We call it peer pressure. You know, if you, when you're in school, especially when you're younger, you have peer pressure. Peer pressure says, you know what? I may not want to do this, but if I don't, I won't fit in. If I don't, I'll be an outsider. If I don't, they'll make fun of me. If I don't, I will pay a price. And that's what peer pressure is, but, but it's a lie, right? Because, you know, you grow up and you get a little bit older and go, yeah, that was really stupid. Um, and, and, so, and you're thinking, no, no, really? It, it, it really is. It's, it's the truth, and it happens throughout life. It doesn't matter whether you're 13 or 80. It, it's, it's something that comes in, and the culture is coming in saying, here is the thing to do to fit in. And, and so as they came in, they chose <clears throat> to do the right thing rather than take the path of least resistance. Their path was going to be unbearable. So they could take the path of least resistance, go, yeah, whatever, I'll go do this. Um, doesn't mean anything to me, but I'll fit in. It'll be the path of least resistance. But they said, no, we won't. We will suffer to the death in this thing. So they'd be thrown in prison, what Jesus said. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. He said, you know what, I know that you're broke. I know that you don't have anything. I know that you're destitute. I know that financially you've been crushed because you can't work anymore because nobody will hire you. They won't do business with you because you will not burn that pinch of incense to Caesar. And, and then he goes on, and he says, I know the slander that's being said against you by, quote, the religious people because the Jewish people of the day, they didn't have to go burn incense to Caesar. They had an exemption they'd had for years, but they hated the Christians. And so they were being slandered and and told, you know, they said, hey, they're not part of us, and they don't burn incense to Caesar. You got to do something. So this is where it's going. So Jesus tells them, he says, "Um, they're, they're they're not my people. They're a synagogue of Satan. He says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So he's saying they'll be thrown into prison. Now, when we think about being thrown into jail now, you, you know, you think I'm going to go do my sentence, right? I'm going to do a year, um, five years, 15 years, whatever, you know, whatever the crime is, you know, you're going to do the time for the crime, right? That's not the way it worked in Rome. They didn't put you in prison to punish you. They put you in prison awaiting execution of sentence. And execution of sentence in this, in this instance was death. So this is what was about to happen. If you go in and you look, you know, Paul, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He was under house arrest. What was he under house arrest for? He was being charged with, with um, crimes against Caesar. And, and so as he comes in, he's going to go before Caesar. He's not in house arrest so that he can be punished for what he did. He's in house arrest awaiting sentence. And he's sentenced and he will be executed. 
That's what happened. And, and so they understood that. They knew that. And they were waiting to be executed for their faith. So they said, you know, I, Jesus tells them, he said, this is encouraging. I mean, it's really good. You know, you're following me. You're doing all the right stuff. And he's coming in. He's saying, here it is. You are going to suffer. Don't fear it. Some of you are going to be thrown in prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. For 10 days. So the tribulation, he says, will last 10 days. Now, if you come in and you look at that, remember, if you go back in the Old Testament, you're reading the book of Daniel. Daniel comes in and they say, you know what, I'm going to change your name from, from a, a name that glorifies God to a name that glorifies uh, a, a false god. I'm going to do this to your friends, and, and I'm going to change their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rather than the, the names that they have that honor God, the God of all creation. And, and I'm going to change you, and I'm going to change your diet. I'm going to change everything about you. And, and, um, and so he comes in, and, and Daniel and the three guys, they say, look, let us eat vegetables for 10 days and water and see if we don't pass the test. And they did. And why, why, why 10 days? Because in their culture, in their day, in their time, 10 meant complete. It meant it was a perfect amount of time. It was the perfect test. It was a complete test. And, and he's coming in and saying that their tribulation was going to be a complete experience. They would be completely tested. These 10 days would show the extent of their faith and their testing. They would be tested to the end, to the experience, but the testing would have a limit. Not only would they be tested to their limit, but the test would also have a limit. He tells them to be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the scriptures say, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So as we come in, we look and it says, you know what? <clears throat> We're all going to be tempted. We're all going to have things come before us. And God has said that he will provide a way for us to pass the test to make it through that to provide a way to come through the test for them the limit would be death for some of them he says the limit the end of the test will be death it'll be death for you but that death will result in a real crown unlike the crowns of Smyrna he says be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life you see, in Smyrna, they had crowns. If a dignitary came, they would give them a crown to wear. That would signify that they were important. If you won in the games, you would get a crown to wear, that you were the victor, the victor's crown. So they understood a crown in that day, and they understood what it meant. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a different crown. I'm not going to give you a crown that's, that's made of, of laurels or, or ivy or something that will perish. I'm going to give you the crown of life. I'm going to give you a crown that cannot be taken away. So for them, the limit would be death. But that death would be <clears throat> something that resulted in the crown of life. The orators of the day in Smyrna, they compared the city of Smyrna 
with a bejeweled statue rising symmetrically from the sea to the crown of Pagus. So it was the crown of the city, this crown when they would look at it. So they had the crown of Smyrna. They had the crowns that they would give to their dignitaries. And, and as they came in and they understood this, so you come in and, and you begin to see the different things that are being referenced in here. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm more. I'm more. I am more. And, and he's saying the same thing to us today. We have many things within our culture that come in and you know, we look at and we think that they're the most important things. And, and Jesus is saying, no, I'm more. I'm more. I'm bigger. I'm bigger than the things that you face. I am bigger than you look at the problems culturally and, and everything going on in our day and say, you know what? You want to find the solution to it? I am the solution. Come to me. If you want to know how to not only survive but to thrive in your culture, you come to me. You, you, can, you can argue, you can fight, you can complain, you can try to convince people of all kinds of different things, but when it comes down to the ultimate test, it's all about him. It's all about who he is. It's all circled up in him because he says, I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm the beginning, I am the end. I'm the one who died and I came to life. I am the crown of all of heaven. I am the crown of all creation. Everything is in me, everything is for me, and there's a crown for you. And <clears throat> so as they come in and, and they face this, we need to be reminded that what Paul said in Philippians 1.6, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He, he reminded the people in Philippi as they suffered as well, he said, look, the God who started this in you is going to bring it to its completion. Just like that complete testing of 10 days, he said, I'm going to bring your faith to its completion. I will do this at the day of the coming of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 4.8, he writes to Timothy and he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. So we have this crown of, of life, a crown of righteousness that God bestows on his people. And, and it is the reward that we see. And we're going to face pressure. We will face pressure. Just as the people of Smyrna face pressure. And, and it will grow in intensity. The further our culture moves from God, the more repulsive Christ will be to that culture. And every day, every single day, every single one of us, we're forced to make a choice. Am I going to pick up that little pinch of incense, say Caesar is Lord? Or am I going to stay true to the word of God? Will I take that pinch of incense and, and do that? Or am I going to take the lumps that come from not doing it. Well, I take it on the chin and take my lumps and do what Scripture says to do. Not what my culture says to do, not, not my rights or any of those things, but what does the Word of God tell me to do? What does Jesus lead me to do? It, it might be a little compromise at work. It could be that I compromise at work on my faith, or I compromise at school to go along with something that's common within our culture. 
Which, by the way, in, in our culture, truth is a moving target, right? I mean, what, what, what is right today may be wrong in 15 years. And what is wrong today may be right in 15 years or 15 weeks. I mean, as fast as things move. But, but um, right and wrong is a moving target in our culture. For instance, you've, you've probably heard the saying, well, that's your truth. That's your truth. I don't have any truth. You don't have any truth. Nobody has truth. Jesus is truth. We either have him or we have nothing. This is what he's saying. I am the first and last. Everything is encapsulated in me. So it, it, it might seem like it's better to go along so that we can get along, right? Sometimes say, you know what, well, I'm just going to do this. It doesn't mean anything. You know, people do this all the time. Um, it, it's really no big deal. That's just culturally who we are. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The people in Smyrna, they got it right. They got it right. And it, it might even see, be expedient. You know, you think, you know, this just seems expedient. Have you ever been in that class where where you just disagreed. You disagreed with the professor. You disagreed with the teacher. You disagreed with their philosophy in life. You know, maybe they said there is no God or, or whatever. And then you have to come in and you have to write the term paper, right? You have to write the term paper. So you have a choice. And, and, and the typical word is basically, it's called echo. You echo whatever the teacher says and you echo that and you make the grade. Because, I mean, ultimately, what are you trying to do? You want to make the grade, get the diploma, and move on, right? That's the name of the game. You know, I, I sat in classes before, and, you know, I had a professor, a chemistry professor. He said, look, you're saying, what do I have to do? What's the minimum amount of work I have to put in to get an A? That, that's, that's it. That's, that's the standard. And that's basically, if you come in, that's about 90% of the people coming in. You know, what is the minimum amount? that I have to put in to get the best grade possible because I've got six of these classes or I've got five of them and, and I want to come in and I want to balance it all out so that I can get all of them up to the maximum point level that I can receive at the end of it all because ultimately it's just going to be a number on a page. And, and so you come in. Others will come in and say, you know what, don't worry about the number on the page, worry about what you learned. And, and that is the truth. The truth is, is, is what matters is what you learn. It's not there. But anyway, you, you come in and you go, you know what? I'll just echo this so that I can get an A on the paper because if I don't, I'm going to be graded harder and there's no way I'll get any grade above a B or a C because I disagree and he vehemently disagrees with my stand or with my faith or whatever that might be. Um, so we come in and, and, and we look at that because these are different scenarios that we come in and we look at and go, you know what, it really doesn't matter. It's just a stupid paper. I'm going on and I'm going to finish. And, and we are pragmatic people. And we come in and, and the people in Smyrna, they said, you know what, we're not pragmatic people. We're Jesus people. And we're standing firm in there. And, and Jesus is saying, be confident. Be confident in your faith. Be confident in me. Be confident in the fact that I hold all things in my hand. Be confident that you can trust me in every aspect of your life. In John 15, 19, Jesus said, if you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He told his disciples, he said, look, you, you they're already going to hate you. 
Just get over it and move on. And, and that's where it is. So if you don't want to experience intense pressure, if you don't want to experience these things in life, I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to do that, but the way that you don't experience this kind of tribulation is you compromise your faith. It's simple. You just compromise. And you refuse the crown that Jesus is offering. You say, you know what, I'd rather have what this world offers than what Jesus offers to me. You'll experience much less conflict. You, you might even get ahead for a season. But the problem is, is that you'll be conflicted inside. The problem is, is what's going to happen inside and, and, and the struggles that are going to happen as a result of it. And you're going to have nothing of eternal significance to show for it. Not only that. Not only that, as you compromise your faith, you know what will happen? It'll infect your kids. And it'll destroy them. Because every compromise that we make as parents magnifies in them because they read us like a book, right? They know every last detail of our lives. You know, like, like, like your granny said, you know, your chickens are coming home to roost. Yeah. And, and that's what it's saying. That, that's what that saying means. So what Paul wrote in Romans 12, 12, he said, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. We need to understand today that Jesus knows our zip code. He knows where we are. He knows what we face. He knows the things going on in our culture. He knows the trials and the temptations that we face. He knows our needs. He knows everything about us. He is the beginning and the end and he will navigate for us through everything that's going on in this world. So as, as we come in and, and we see the heat turned up and we begin to face tribulation or pressure or we being, being crushed with the decision, what am I going to do? Am I going to deny Christ? Or am I going to choose this path over here that's easier? Do we wonder, you know, uh, man, am I doing something wrong? I mean, really, should I be suffering for my faith? Should I be having these problems? I mean, I'm following Jesus, right? I'm, I'm doing what the scriptures say. I'm following his example. And, and that question comes up, you know, maybe I'm doing something wrong. And, and there's a false Christianity that says if you do the right stuff, Life will be a gravy train. Everything will turn out perfect. But Jesus tells us to buckle up for the ride because it's going to be bumpy. <laughs> this is what he says. He says, look, if you want to plow with me, you better put your hand on and hang on because it is not going to be an easy row. It is not going to be simple. It is not going to be something where you don't get beaten and bloodied up. This life is tough. He says, what, what I promise you is that at the end of it all, I give you a crown of life. That I'm there with you and I will never leave you. He promises that he will be with us. And then the final thing he says in verse 11, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. 
The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Hold on to the promises of God. Trust Jesus in all things. Be confident and hold on to the promises of God. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Who is this conqueror? Who is the conqueror? The conqueror is the one who realizes that Jesus is Lord over all things. He's the one who conquers, the one who realizes that Jesus is the eternal, immortal, and invisible God. Or as Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.17, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He breaks out in, in the midst of that and, and, and just says, you know what? Here it is. It's, it's all to the king of the ages. He's immortal. He is without beginning or end. He is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. He is invisible. You can't see him. Yet he has made himself known. He is the only God, and he alone is due honor and glory for all eternity. You see, the conqueror will absolutely not by any means be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers the second death won't affect you. This is what he's telling the people in Smyrna. Um, there's an evangelist named Evie Hill, um, and, and <clears throat> I've heard him preach before. He's, he's not alive anymore. But here's, here's what he said. He said, those who are born once die twice. Those who are born twice die once. I'm into dying just once. Those who are born once die twice. And this is what Jesus is saying. There's a second death. Not only do we die, but then we die to all things of God. We are eternally cast from his presence. That will be as we get on down in Revelation, on, on down many chapters on down. We'll talk about the second judgment, the judgment of the, the, judgment of the believer's judgment, the, blood, the judgment of those who are unbelievers. And he says in that there is a second death. And so he just said, you know what, I'm into dying just once. And the way that I do that is I die to myself and Christ gives me eternal life. We will be tried. We will face temptations to give in to the pressure of those temptations. But because we know who we are in Jesus and we know who he is, we will conquer. That is the promise that he's making there. Paul, in jail for preaching the gospel, starts off to Timothy talking about suffering for the gospel. He says, you know what, I've suffered for the gospel. I'm in jail for the gospel. I have been um, treated poorly for it. And, and he says in verse 112 of 2 Timothy, he says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. Paul was saying he was a conqueror. As a conqueror, um, there, there's a hymn we used to sing when I was a kid, and it says, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. Or he said, I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves convincing men of sin, Revealing Jesus through the word, creating faith in him. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair, nor if I'll walk 
the, uh, the veil with him or meet him in the air, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Maybe you've heard that song before. You know, I know whom I have believed. And, and um, we sang it as a kid probably, you know, once a month um, because it's, you know, classic. And, and it was. And, and so, but it, what it was saying was, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. There's a whole lot of things I don't know. And there's a whole lot of things that you don't know. There's a whole lot of things that we don't know. But this is what Paul is saying. He said, I, I don't know. I, I don't know all of the whys of everything that's happened to me. I don't know everything there. This is what I do know. I know the one I believe in. I know the Jesus who saved me. I know the Jesus who met me on the road to Damascus. I know the Jesus who redeemed me. I know the Jesus who changed me from a murderer to a preacher. I know the Jesus who saved me out of an evil life of not knowing him into a life of joy and and hope and a future of knowing him. And I know that in the midst of all my troubles, all my trials, all my persecutions, everything here that I face, this is what it is. I know whom I have believed and I am fully, fully convinced that he will guard until that day, until that day, what has been entrusted to me. See, he was a conqueror. He was faithful to Jesus under pressure. He held fast to the word of God. He knew that his faith in Jesus was sufficient for this world and for eternal life. And this is what Jesus is saying to the people in the church in Smyrna. One more little tidbit on the church in Smyrna. It's still there today. It's in the city of Izmir. And, and, there is, and when we say the church, not like a building, but, but, but there is a Christian presence in this city that has gone from that time till now. The only church that remains in that region. And they are still there. They're still persecuted for their faith as in modern-day Turkey. And they are still holding on for that crown that Jesus promised. And, and this is the promise that he offers to us. So as we come in and we look at Smyrna, you know, you go, wow. Okay, this was really encouraging. We came to church today. They told us, stand firm in our faith. You're going to get crushed. But in the end, it's all going to be okay. And in a way, that really does kind of sum it up. But, but in the other side, what, it, what, it really, what Jesus is really saying is, he's saying, you know what? The only way, the only way any of us will truly, truly not only survive this world, but thrive in this world is in him. It's in Christ. It's not in the, the, the movings of, of our culture, of our politics, of any of those things there, because those things all come and go. But it's when we put our faith in the God who made us, the God who created us, the God who came down and walked among us, who went to a cross and took all of our brokenness and all of our sin and paid the penalty for that and then was placed in a tomb and on the third day rose again. Not only did he take our sin, but he conquered sin and death for all of eternity. 
And he offers that to us today. So it's not a simple thing. Following Jesus is not just a prayer that we say. It is a radical change. It's called repentance. It's saying, I am no longer living my life in this world, but I'm living my life in the kingdom of God. I am turning from my sin. I am turning from my choices to I'm going to follow Jesus, trusting that he died on a cross for me, trusting that he is God in the flesh, trusting that he conquered sin and death, trusting that he offers me life, and I am giving my life to him to follow him. It's not an easy, I believe, and I'll go on and I'll burn a pinch of of incense to Caesar. It is a full-on commitment. This is what we see in the church at Smyrna. They are all in for Jesus. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And as Jesus comes in and we begin to look in these churches, we're going to see some different things going on here. It's not just about doing all the right stuff as we saw in Ephesus. It's doing it out of love for him. It's not going to make it all easy as we see in Smyrna. Then we'll go on and and, and the things are going to blow out from here. But as we come in, it's coming back to this simple thing. Following Jesus is a total surrender to him. And he promises when we do that, that he will always be with us. This is what he's saying in his letter to the church at Smyrna. This is the hope that he offers to us today. And this is the thing that he offers to our church. He's saying, you know what? You stand firm on my word. You proclaim it to your community. And regardless of anything else that's going on, I am with you and I will give you the crown of life. And it cannot be taken away. I find great comfort in that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for the life that you've given to us, for the hope that we have in Jesus. And Father, we pray that as your people, we'll be faithful to you, that that every time we are conflicted and, and, and we see compromise ahead of us, that we'll choose to be faithful to you. Father, that we'll choose to stand firm on your word, And Father, that you'll give us the the fortitude that we need to trust you in every temptation and know that you and you alone are the giver of life. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.